Friends, today I've got James Taylor on the show. James C. Taylor, that is. Welcome, friends. Today I have a very special guest in James Taylor. He is from North Carolina, and he is the producer and head writer of the podcast, My Amazing Woman, for the company, hey, Daddy-O Audio. At least that's how it looks like to me when I see. No, that's right. It is awesome. (laughs) So thank you, James, for coming on to the show. Really appreciate it. And usually when people don't include my middle initial, I have to remind them that I'm not the James Taylor from North Carolina that people would expect. You know, the guy that sings about fire and rain. I'm not that guy. (laughs) (laughs) But you sound amazing. Well, thank you. Uh, I Before I did all the things that I do now, I was in radio for a thousand million years. And so I figured, you know, why not do something with it like a podcast? So uh, we awesome. do the, the show and that's cool. And occasionally I talk to other people such as yourself. And that's what we're doing today. Yay. Well, Oops. for a million thousand years, you look amazing. <laughs> so. Clean living. Okay, there we go. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So today we wanted to talk about your story, right? And how you became involved with ACA, the Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. So we're going to start with there. You know, where's your story? How does it start? How did you then become involved with ACA? Okay, how I got to ACA was through divorce. uh, In that uh, when my ex-wife and I were going through the process of trying to save our marriage, which we did not succeed at. Mm -hmm. Uh, We did couples therapy. And then uh, once it was quite clear that uh, we were splits, uh, I started doing individual therapy. And my therapist and I would talk about the things that you talk about in therapy. And it kind of felt a little bit like we were spinning our wheels. And then at one point, I just sort of casually mentioned that my father was an alcoholic and this like you could see the lights going on in her eyes <gasps> and she figured mm-hmm. out now I know why he's not making any progress. So, okay. <laughs> well, yeah. and, and, and I was, but I, w- but I was still having issues, but you know, so she then uh, suggested that I read a book called codependent no more. And that felt a little bit like uh, what, I was going through and a part of, but in that book, it mentions adult children of alcoholics. So I went and explored Mm -hmm. what that was. And I found my people as the, as the phrase might go, um, because they're everything that they talk about and what they go through, they were going through and how they react to things and how they deal with life was what, I had been doing, I finally had a, a, a a handle, a name for what I was dealing with. So I then started going at first online to the adult children of alcoholics forum. And when the actual organization stopped having an online forum, I then went to uh, another forum, which also had an online meeting. And from there, um, uh, lots of things happened to the point where now I am the host of an online chat meeting every Tuesday at this other website for adult children of alcoholics. And I've been doing that for has to be close to 10 years now and um, been trying to help people the way that I received help. So interesting. So let's let's go back. All right. 
right? Because this came through your your therapy. So right. what was happening to you as a child and having your father be an alcoholic? What were you experiencing? Now, uh, when I when I say that, uh, bring it up, and I say that my father is an alcoholic, people uh, will probably get an image in their mind that my father was in some way like abusive to me or or neglectful to me. And mm. in my particular specific case, that wasn't the case. Uh, but the trauma remains no matter how the expression went. If anything, in terms of fallout or trauma coming from having an alcoholic in the family, for me, that really came from the dynamic of my parents about my dad's alcoholism. And when you're dealing in a, in a situation that is somewhat chaotic like that, uh, you develop mechanisms to deal with issues that when you are six are serve you relatively well. But if you continue to do things that way or internalize things or develop compensatory behaviors, uh, when you're 30 or 40 or et cetera, uh, they tend to actually get in your way and cause you more problems than the problems they were originally created for uh, to resolve. And so that was that's that's the whole 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 deal of why I needed uh, adult children of alcoholics and whatnot, because my parents uh, there was a word that I learned in sociology class, a phrase called conflict habituated. Uh, we mm -hmm. were going through the different types of relationships in sociology class. And one of the types was called conflict habituated. And it's the only thing of that entire lecture I still remember to this day. And that was, again, a handle on the way that my parents related. My parents, I believe, uh, loved each other sincerely. But if you just went by the audio, you might not have been able to tell that uh, right. everything was bicker back and forth and this and that. And um, my mother, something about my father and his alcoholism aggravated my mother to the point that my mother became insufferable to be around when my father was was drunk. It was it, it, oh, it, interesting. It, it, that part's not typical for uh people in the situation usually a lot of the people who are adult children of alcoholics it's the it's the it's the actual alcoholic that is uh creating the tension and 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 the problem for the child but in this case it was my mother's reaction to my father being an alcoholic that was uh the kind of the the damaging thing about that but basically when you're around any trauma it it affects you as, mm -hmm. as a child and you can develop aberrant behaviors because of it Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm very aware of that. <laughs> yeah. So can you explain then how your mom was reacting during that time? You know, was that upsetting to you or were you just still observing? Well, um, I, I give you an example of, of how it would work. Um, my father was a sanitation worker. And so in the area that I'm from originally, most sanitation workers would get gifts from people on their route around Christmas time. And, and, and I'm using this because I could, I remember this sort of thing happening frequently and I can call it up. So he would get uh, a fifth of whiskey toward Christmas time. And, you know, as kids, we would be all excited and wanted, wanting to be get excited about Christmas. And he'd come home and my mom would find out that he would have a fifth and he knew that she didn't like it. So he'd be sneaky around it and her him being sneaky pissed her off and she'd be angry about that. 
And then she would get mad because she would say Christmas is going to be ruined. And her being in such a bad mood was like ruining Christmas for all of us. And we Mm. just kind of just would go off and do what we were doing and let the two of them argue and whatnot. But um, there was always that tension and anger and sadness. And and you just kind of learn how to to go on. uh, like, like survival mode. Yeah, you just that's over there, and we're over here, and you just basically sort of pretend that that has nothing to do with this. Although, okay. you're, yes, you are disappointed that you're that again. Instead of having a nice family Christmas and everybody putting all of their stuff to the side and just enjoying each other, you're bickering back and forth and can't enjoy this and can't enjoy that and having little drama scenes all throughout the day. You know, mm-hmm. so you, you compartmentalize and you, you get away from it and you, that you do stuff like that. Right, right. So were you the only one that was witnessing this, experiencing this? Or? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, I have uh, three other sisters and uh, this went on. Uh, well, actually, from what I understand, uh, my father will still occasionally drink even to this day. And he is in his 90s now. So, um so uh, presumably it went on after I went to college, moved away and lived my own life. Uh, but um, yeah, we all went through it. And, you know, I don't know what my sisters have done about it because you know, that's another thing that we don't do a lot. We, we don't talk. Uh, one yeah. of the, there are things that a lot of adult children have in common and uh, secret keeping is a, is a big one. We're really good uh. at keeping secrets because, you know, you can't let anybody know about what's going on with your, your dad getting drunk and, and, and your mom, you know, uh, hitting him with a salt shaker and things like that. Mm. So, mm-hmm. so it's a pretty hush hush. Right, right. No, no, you, 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 you don't put your business out in the street. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So. Did this by chance, because, I mean, it was part of your marriage and through your divorce, you go into therapy and this comes up. Do you think or feel in any way that this had impacted your marriage? Oh, this this had a tremendous amount to do uh, with my marriage. This uh, my my growing up life uh, sort of created uh, the marriage that I got into. Um, the way that I like to put it is that, um, uh, my ex-wife is sort of a funhouse mirror version of my mother. I was not an alcoholic. I didn't, I don't, I don't, I, I do, I, I have to be correct and honest about it. I do drink socially, but the amount of times I drink in a calendar year are usually counted on one hand. Um, but while I don't have alcoholism as an issue, I have a whole bunch of traits that uh, oftentimes people who are addicts do have. And it may very well be that, you know, I'm addicted to things that I'm not really uh, considering an addiction. I have a friend who insists that I'm addicted to my phone, but then I think everybody's addicted to their cell phone. But, um, (laughs) but that played a part. And a lot of the things about my mother that were an issue growing up, uh, like I said, were reflected in my ex-wife and she also, as it turned out, had a father with alcohol issues. Mm. And yet we, we have this like radar where we find each other and we pair yeah. up and we have mutual disasters. And that's what, what we had with our marriage it was a mutual disaster. Um, 
we, if we were healthy and okay, we would have known that we shouldn't have been with each other. But we, mm-hmm. neither one of us was healthy and okay all the way. And so we found each other and, and did the thing that we did. Um, so, yeah. And, uh, you know, I was I'm, the way that I was and the things that I was doing evoked ghosts in her past and the way that she was and the things that she would do evoked ghosts from my past. It, a lot of the things were replaying from my childhood. Uh I've in the therapy that I've done and read, I have uh, seen that sometimes we try to solve the issues of our childhood in our present relationships. And I believe that is in no small part what I was doing in my marriage. So So I wanted to get back into can you describe what these traits were that that you were bringing into this marriage? You said you had some some addictions or you call them traits. So right. can you explain what they were? All right. Uh, one of the things that I can definitely remember that I uh, do is uh, people pleasing, which mm. is pretty much doing or saying just about anything in order to allow a relationship to continue. Yeah. Um, it, it's almost a pathological fear of not being in a relationship. Uh, mm, that is interesting. Also, there is also uh, my tendency to work a lot. Um, I would not call myself a workaholic, but then I remind myself that my father does not actually admit that he's an alcoholic. So maybe I am a workaholic. Uh, ah. But at any rate, uh, I have this tendency to to be the reliable guy and to work when everybody else is working. And so if I'm busy working, then I'm of course not present in my relationship or in my family life. And so I would do that. Uh, there are other things that, uh, there are other traits that adult children and alcoholics have, and they don't all have, we don't all have the same, uh, traits. Uh, some become perfectionists and I actually am a, I am not a perfectionist because I couldn't be perfect at being a perfectionist, which is to say, I, it, it would trying trying to get everything just so perfect, I would never get anything done. And because I needed to get things done, I gave up on trying to get every, give, get everything perfect. But by right. the same token, though, then uh, you know, well, uh, at one point uh, you saw a saw the video here of my room, and you could see that. Uh, I'm not exactly uh, the most organized when it comes to my living space. So, um, you know, that things like that being, you know, uh, m- uh, messy or a pack rat or things, uh, things like that. There are all kinds of different ways that the trauma and the dysfunction leak out. Mm-hmm. And so how are you dealing with it now? Well, um, I went through, as I told you, therapy for uh, quite a long time after my marriage ended. Right. Uh, and eventually, uh, my therapist graduated me, which was one of the most frightening things ever, uh, in that she thought that I had enough uh, coping skills and tools to go ahead and live my life without having to see her. And so I, I did therapy, but I also did and still do the adult children of alcoholics because there's something cathartic about sharing what you're going through. 
mm-hmm. and explaining what you're doing. And then other people who share these traits, seeing it and and calling you out is not the right word, but but pointing out to you when you're not being honest with yourself or pointing out to you when you have fallen back into a pattern mm-hmm. that is destructive for you. That that to me is the benefit of a, a fellowship like uh, Adult Children of Alcoholics compared to just straight therapy. You can get sort of that benefit when you do like group sessions in, in conventional therapy. But one of the, but again, one of the things about doing something like Adult Children of Alcoholics is that you have someone who knows when you're you're faking it or knows when you're trying to hide something because they just did that last week themselves well and that's Uh, the resonance right that's absolutely the resonance you know like attracts like for whatever lesson we need to get or just some experience we need to have you know and again that's i keep bringing that back to the podcast is it's the resonance you know and what you're sharing there could be you know, so many people out there that are like, oh, my God, James C. Taylor, you know, I've experienced this as well. I never thought of looking at ACA. Right. And so it sounds like with your group, they're keep keeping you accountable because I always feel like therapy or healing in general, it's a continual process. It doesn't right. just end because, you know, at four o'clock, the bell goes off and I'm leaving the office from my therapist's office. Or like you said, you had graduated, which is quite an interesting term. And and that's like, I think it just continues because life just continues. You could be triggered in ways that you didn't know. Right, right. And and, and that, that, that brings me to what I wanted to say to you. I was thinking, I wanted to tell you the story of how this ended up happening, meaning our interview. Okay. Uh, you had posted uh, somewhere that you were looking for people to come on and do your show. And I was kicking back and forth. Oh, should I do it? Should I not do it? Should I do it? And one morning I woke up and I'm laying in bed. And I just don't want to get out of bed. I I have a I have a day job and I need to get up and do that. And there are you know people who in my life, my girlfriend and so forth, that are, are counting on me to do things. I have responsibilities and I I have things that I need to take care of. And I'm just laying in bed. And I'm not suicidal, but it's just like, why isn't this over yet? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh my god and yep. so this thought is going through my brain and i'm going and i'm and i'm and i'm struggling that morning the morning before i i emailed you and told you to go ahead and do this with getting out of bed and here i am like i said graduated from therapy and, but I, I, and i'm still struggling to get out of bed and i wanted people to know that it's okay if you're trying to get better and you're not there yet because first of all i really don't know what better looks like in terms Mm -hmm. of all better i know what better looks like i know what things look like now versus what they looked like then and i know what that kind of better is but all better you know where where you have no problems and you're just all bliss and sunshine i don't know what that looks like and i don't know that i'll ever know what that looks like but it's okay if you if you can learn how to get out of bed in the morning when you're having a morning like that, then and and a healthy way to get out of bed, not giving yourself negative self talk or anything of that nature, then that's progress. If if you if you can learn how to deal with the challenges that come, then it's okay that challenges come. It's when 
challenges come and you just don't feel that you can deal with it or don't have the tools to deal with it, that things get 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 hairy. Um, I watch the television show Intervention, and on that show, uh, the people, almost everybody that that's on that show, will go in, will go ahead and choose the um, uh, intervention and choose the um, uh, treatment, and then they'll have a relapse. And it mm, seems like okay. to me the ones that end up ultimately having a happy ending don't catastrophize the relapse. They right. just go back and do it again. You don't you a, don't give yeah. up on yourself. And 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 that's what I yeah. wanted to do about coming on here and, and and saying is that I did not give up on myself in that bed that morning. I did actually eventually get up and I went to work and I emailed you and here I am. Um and, but if you're having a down day, you can rebound from that. You can come back from that. And, and, yeah. and that's why I wanted, if nothing else, I want people listening to your podcast to remember that, that, that there is hope. Mm-hmm. That is that is a beautiful message. And I know for me personally, I've been struggling with it's okay to not be okay. And, mm-hmm. um, and I'm kind of learning through some of, I'm not a Buddhist, but there's, you know, books on Buddhist, Buddhism that I'm reading and my therapist, um, we're talking about. And it's simply recognizing that suffering it, to accept suffering, because suffering is always going to be there. Just like mm-hmm. happiness will always be there. Everything right. is always going to be there because it already is here. And to be okay and accepting of suffering. And this is something I really, really struggle with. I won't get into that right now. But it's that idea, like you said, you're having a tough morning, right? And these mornings are going to happen. And it's about allowing ourselves to be okay with it being a tough morning or a tough moment or a difficult situation. I know it's my personal struggle. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. However, what you're saying, you know, is exactly, I think, that people still need to continue to hear that it is okay. Just because you, quote unquote, graduated from therapy doesn't mean that it's all of a sudden done and over with. You know, we got to keep going, got to keep doing the work, you know, and for you, it's ACA. And I think I think ACA is probably why she graduated me from therapy, because she knew that even if I jettisoned all the people around me and I had no more confidants, which there's a tendency uh, to, to do, uh, ACA are, are very much hyper independent people and they try and do everything themselves. And that's something that they have to work on stopping doing. But she knew that even if I did that, if I blew blew out my um, uh, uh, support system of actual individual, regular human beings I can talk to, I would still, because I was doing this, have someone to talk to about the issues that I go through. And that's, I always tell this to the um, uh, people when I'm leading the, uh, the chat meeting for ACA is it, that that's my little dirty little secret is that I get as much out of it, if not more mm-hmm. than they do that, right. that I'm doing it as much for me as I'm doing it for them. And I am doing it for them because I knew how much when I first wasn't leading the chat, I was just in it, how much that helped me. So the reason I keep doing it and making time every Tuesday to hold that meeting is to give them what I got, but I'm still getting what I got from that, not only through helping them, but through getting a chance in the meeting to talk about my own stuff as well. Mm -hmm. It's reciprocal, right? It's a give and take. 
Yes. Yeah, as, as you're giving, you're also getting, and they are as well, right? So having a, a supportive community that you have, like is really amazing. You know, some people are just starting their journeys. They don't even know where to look, where to go, who to talk to, you know, and what to talk about, you know, because it can be scary when you start that process. Um, so that is just amazing that you have, that you have done this uh, for yourself and you're helping to do that for others, which is great. Somewhere I read, because I've read a ton of books about um, uh, fixing yourself. I've been trying to fix myself since I was about 10. But uh, and somewhere I read that the uh, best way to help yourself is to help others. And I'm not sure if that's true, but I am sure that that has been a godsend for me. Um, mm -hmm. It's also interesting, too, because it's, it's a bit of that um, when you're in the airplane and it's going down, you've got to put your oxygen mask on first before you do it for your loved one. Right. So I love some, that. I love that because I when when I see people that are, are are basically killing themselves to try and help the others in 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 their uh, life and they're not doing enough proper self care and they're burning out. I always mm -hmm. bring that analogy up because if 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 you don't take care of yourself, then what is there? to help help all of these people. Yep. I mean they may they may have needs and they may have wants and they may have desires and it's good that you want to address them. But if you burn out then you both don't have your oxygen mask on as you as you were saying. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So I think honestly initially we have to take care of ourselves regardless, you know, sometimes not only being a people pleaser, we're also rescuers. You know, we're helping yes. everybody else out. In the meantime, our energy is just starting to sift away. You know, and it'll always come back to at least what I believe is it'll always come back to is when your body starts breaking down, your mind starts breaking down, you're exhausted, you're irritated, blah 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 blah. You need to stop check in with yourself, get the health and help that you need, because then, then it starts the cycle. Well, then you start to feel it. So you give it to others. And then once you give it to others, you then receive it for yourself. But we have to start, st we have to start with that step. We got to put it on the mask. We got to breathe in the air. Let's get that energy in and then move forward. And it's in it. I find at least for me and dealing with trauma, it's mm -hmm. always been very difficult because like you, a people pleaser. So I always had to rescue or felt I needed to rescue others first because they mattered more than me. So, you know, they, they were right. They were healthy. They were, they were smart, not me. So I need to do my best to help others. That's what it was like for me. So, you know, what you're talking about with the reciprocation, you know, put your mask on first. Yeah. And then, get some healing because you are valuable. You are worth it. You are worthy. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, that is a key point about all of this, that you have to keep yourself full, emptying yourself out, giving all that you have uh, will give all that you have, but you, then you won't be able to keep going. It, mm -hmm. it, it, it's invariable that whenever I am working a very tough stretch and then I take a day or two to relax, if the stretch has been particularly tough, that's when I'll get sick because I haven't even given myself permission to rest. And mm -hmm. then I will be weak and then that's when things can come in and knock me down. 
Uh, and so I, I make it a point now to always build some time in to rest. I still have the voices in my head because we all have voices in our head. It's mm-hmm. like, you're not being productive. You could be actually getting something done right now. And totally. But, but you know, I, I need to sit and do a Sudoku and not do any of the things I need to do around the house or any things I need to do for my show or any things I need to do for my day job or any things I need to do for the other show that I do uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> because I also do a podcast for my employer. Uh, yep. So, but so I know that my physical body and my mental health need moments where I'm not doing a thing. And, yep. and when you're, when you're, when you, you're, you're Midwest, ethic and work and get stuff done when you when you got all that rattling around in your head you can start to feel guilty about you know taking a minute for yourself but those minutes are why you have something to be able to give mm-hmm. you've, you've got to fill up you've got uh, to recharge yeah absolutely and and so as we're kind of winding down here uh with this episode i just kind of wanted to ask you like a last question here and how are your relationships now now that you have this understanding of what you had experienced like are you how are your relationships with your parents do you still have a connection to your ex and how are your relationships now well well uh, my father and i have actually built uh a lot better relationship in these last 10 years or so. My mother died about 15 years ago or so. Mm. Um, But my mother and I, despite the fact that in my estimation, she was a source of a lot of the infliction of trauma. My mother and I always got along. Um, I uh, was accused of by my ex-wife of being a mama's boy. Um, Mm. I, I, I don't think that that label was correct, but uh, was I was I very uh, connected to my mother? Yes, I was, uh, okay. and that's another story for another day. But uh, but I but I wasn't a mama's boy because I always put my ex wife before my mother, and I put my girlfriend. I would have if my mother was around. I put my girlfriend ahead of uh, my mother. I. And, but you know who taught me that? My mother. But at any rate, um, but my relationship with my father improved and it's kind of bittersweet how that worked. Uh, my mother had this, my mother was one of these bigger than life human beings in terms of her personality was just uh, out there and and everybody um, had, you, either you loved her or you didn't like her, but you always knew her and you never forgot her. And the problem is that my mother kind of sucks all the oxygen or sucked all the oxygen out of the room. And so, I didn't know my father as much other than the guy who was an alcoholic who worked all the time and kept the lights on. Mm. And so over these last 15 years with my mother, unfortunately, no longer with us, I've gotten to know my father as a person and I have become more empathetic to him and, you know, than the fact that he was an alcoholic. And I have also, because as an adult, I've had to keep the lights on. I have become a lot more respectful of just how hard it is just to keep the lights on. Uh, I, I just covering the basics takes a lot more effort than a kid knows about, at least if, if the kid's mm-hmm. not exposed to that when they're a kid. Right. And so I, I developed a, uh, 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 a um, respect with him for that. And so he and I actually have gotten along uh, quite well uh, in these last uh, 15 years. And I've really gotten to know him a- as a person. And 
I found that not only do I have his uh, sort of penchant for honesty, my father is uh, my father has like no filter and is uh, just also not not just <laughs> brutally honest in what he says, but also just right. plain honest. He's a he's a very uh, honorable man in that way. And I, and I found out that I got that from him because I didn't really know. It's, it's weird. You it's weird. I didn't really know him. I grew up with him my entire life. I lived it with my parents until my mid, no, my early twenties, not my mid twenties, but I didn't really get to know my father as a person. I couldn't have told you what kind of a person he was like until these later years. And so that has really improved that my relationship with my ex-wife is absolutely horrible. Um, but, but it's not, but it's not because I want it to be. It's because I don't believe that my ex-wife has gotten to a, a, a place of healing in, in her mind, I, I caused everything. I was all of the problem. I, I am the villain. And so for her story, if I'm the villain, I will, I will take on that role. But that means if I'm the villain that, you know, we can't have a conversation. So, right. And so we don't, everyone has a journey, right? Everyone has a journey. Yeah. So this, this has honestly been really amazing. And um, so I really want to thank you for your time and your energy and coming on to this show. I really appreciate it. And friends, I hope you have listened to this show and will consider, honestly, listening to James's podcast, My Amazing Woman. <laughs> yes. Now, if you'd like a laugh, you know, we've talked about very serious stuff here, but if you'd like yeah. something to make you smile and make you feel better and just listen to the show, I, I, my, I have a wonderful cast. And I enjoy writing it very much since uh, I'm the primary writer. We do have other writers, but I'm the primary writer. And it's just, it's a half hour of feel better. And, and I, I, if I can't help you with adult children of alcoholics, maybe I can help you with a, with, with, with a smile today. Absolutely. Cause we need more of that, right? We absolutely need more of that. And I'll be putting all those links in the show notes here. Um, You know, and, yeah, actually, no, because you said you did another podcast, but that was for your work. Yes, yes. It's a business to business podcast called Insight at Biologics. In the daytime, I work for a uh, device, a medical device and pharmaceutical consultancy firm, uh, and uh, they do a podcast about what they do. I, I say they, but I work there. We do a podcast about what we do, and, and because I have the years of radio experience plus the experience doing my amazing woman they chose me to be the host so nice uh, so i have two shows now there we <laughs> and, go and I, ha- I have to be careful I, i'm still making room for my sudoku because i you know otherwise you know i'd be doing like six <laughs> or seven shows and that's, and okay. that's I, the, that, I play harry potter that's what i need i, I play my <laughs> harry potter on my phone <laughs> i'm totally fine with that we all need an outlet right so yes um, exactly so thank you so much for being on the show and friends thank you for listening so we will talk to you next time thank you for listening to this episode if you require more support and information on depression, please contact your local health care provider, distress center, or in Canada, go to canada.ca and search mental health support, get help. <laughs>